I'm going to be very brief and quick, which is a miracle. Before I came here, I'd teach 45 minutes every week. Now it's like, whew, you got to get everything crammed into 20 minutes, but that's okay, right? You can teach an old dog new tricks. I don't know who that old dog would be. But anyway, I shared with you last week the beginning of this, and um, I've had a few of you email me or text telling me thanks for the teaching. I appreciate it. If you haven't, you can go back. It's on YouTube. Watch the, subscribe to our page and then watch last week because I'm not going to have time to go over. Just one thing I wanted, how this message came about, my brother sent me a quote and it wasn't the complete quote, so before I misquoted, I looked it up. John Adams, our second president, our first vice president under Washington, second president of the United States, and his vice president was Jefferson, and they didn't like each other. If you didn't know that, they didn't like each other at all at the beginning, and, but they became fast friends later on in life and actually died the same day, July 4th, July 4th. 1826 in Virginia and Massachusetts. I think that's, that kind of stuff amazes me. But Adams says this, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to government of any other. And I was standing right over here in a prayer time, just on the stage, I Love to pace the stage because when you're up here, people don't bother you. And uh, sorry, I just, they're always like when I sit in an office, it's like leave Gary alone. I hate being that, get off, get off my lawn, you know, that type of guy. But um, anyway, not trying to stir up any politics, but most countries are destroyed from within. And what I really felt like the Lord was saying is the issue is not them, it's us. That what is morality that we see? Not some self-righteous thing, but what is the scripture asking us? And so instantly, I felt like the Lord said, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And knowing the scripture, I knew that what it was going to say, but I forgot this one section. Verse 11 of chapter 12 says, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living or righteousness for those who have been trained, because the idea of discipline is child-rearing, those that have been trained in its way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark a straight path for your feet for those who are weak and lame will not fail but become strong. And this is the real thing. Crux of the message. Work at living at peace with everyone. Work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. We talked about the embracing of the discipline, the strengthening that comes by us doing that, that we have hands that can be raised, holy hands are knees, our legs take us, our feet take us on the path of righteousness. And then we talked about pursuing peace with those people we really like. Pursuing peace with people of the same political persuasion. Pursuing peace with those that agree with us 100%. 
pursuing peace with all people, it says. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 12 says this, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. I love when the scripture says they were notorious sinners like all of us aren't. Notorious sinners. Live in harmony. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Chapter 12 of Romans, verse 16 through 18. Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil for with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable and do all that you can to live at peace with all people. Another translation says, as far as is concerned with you, be at peace with all people. In other words, don't let the offense be at your feet because if we are true Christians and those of reconciliation, it's the offended one reaching out to the offender. Man, wouldn't the world be a different place if that was the case. But the fourth thing, it says work on holiness. Let's look at holiness for a moment. It's bestowed on us as a gift, and it is something that we are to grow into. It means dedication. There are three words for holiness. Dedication, consecration, and sanctification. Big theological terms that we could spend the next year just looking at. Dedication means to give yourself wholly and earnestly to something. Consecration means you are set apart. Sanctification means to be pure and free from sin. There used to be a and still taught in some places that there's a second act of grace called sanctification, that one day you will wake up and be free from sin. Yeah, I call it death um, because it's not scriptural. You're not going to wake up. Wouldn't it be nice if you just wake up one day, look at your spouse and say, I'm sanctified today. And then she says something to you that you're not sanctified about and you'd see how sanctified you were because sanctification, salvation is separation from sin. Sanctification is separation from ourself, our sinful nature. And how many of you know that takes a lifetime to get out? And then finally, there's something called glorification, and that'll be when we see Jesus face to face and we will be like him. So don't let anybody tell you that you're, you're going to one day wake up and be sanctified. It's a process of you being free because if we are saved by faith, we are sanctified by faith because none of us can clean our own act up. But it says, work on this, hasten to it, run after it, strive towards it. But it also has an opposite meaning that means, which I thought was so interesting, that it means this, to drive out or to drive away, to push aside. So it's this idea of pressing into some things and pushing away other things. That's what it means to be holy. And both of those things come as an act of Grace. Grace is not only the unlimited favor of God, grace is the desire to do the will of God and then the power to do that will. I just, it's, it's so fat. I love the Greek, even though I only took a year in college and I have to ask Dustin what it means. But the fact is, to strive towards something, to reach out and try to grab it, but also to be pushing other things aside, that is what holiness means. And then it says, for those that are holy will not, who are not holy will not see the Lord. And I've always struggled with this because how many of you know, I know where I'm not holy. That's why I, one time 
a friend of mine and I were actually, sounds, take it in context, we were coming out of a gay bar in San Francisco. We both had leather coats on, tight jeans, walking out of a gay bar in San Francisco. It was on a Friday night. We went there to just see what was going on, basically to break our hearts. And we were walking out of this gay bar, and there's a guy literally on a soapbox, and he turns to us and says, you're going to die in your sin and go to hell. And my friend who was with me was going to turn around, because both of us were pastors, and say, you missed it, dude. Man, do we judge people so quickly. But I've always looked at this as a negative thing. We just walked on. And we didn't take their track because we thought somebody else might need it. And then we were more of a sinner. It was always something negative. You better be holy or you're not going to see God. You're not going to go to heaven. You better be holy. And the word see means to experience, witness, perceive, understand, or pay attention to. And it, just like a light bulb went on a couple weeks ago, that when we aren't holy, we don't see God. We don't see God move in situations. We don't see God. We don't perceive him. When we are walking in sin, our eyes are clouded. We can't see or perceive. That's why people have such a weird concept of who the God they're serving is because they're not willing to walk in his freedom of pressing into some things, pushing aside other things, that we need to walk in holiness towards him. And when we do, we'll see God differently. It's exactly what Pastor Greg was talking about on Sunday, about the the time of the secret place, that we, our eyes are open when we spend time with the Lord. And then I thought about, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. And none of us in this room can cleanse our hearts. None of us can cleanse our, our being. None of us can be more holy. It's got to be something that comes from him. But there are things that we can push aside and things that we can embrace. And when we do that, all of a sudden, we see God in a better place light. That's why when people have blamed God for things, I'm just like, man, that's not the God I know or serve. That's not him. Honestly, it's not him. And I've, I don't know what it's been about my life. I've been able to reject things that I know aren't God. It's like, wait a minute, that's not God. That is not my, that's my wife. It's always been, and so I'm the one that I see the glass full, not just half full, full. Because I understand who God is. That doesn't mean I never have my doubts. But the fact is, when we walk towards him and push other things aside, sorry for you in the front row. Um, I actually, today in staff meeting, said the Father, Son, and Holy Spitter. And I, I meant, I literally said that. They told me afterwards, and, I, and everybody said, yeah, you actually did. So anyway, blessed are the pure in heart. Then it says, look out for one another that no one's falling short of the grace of God. Man, if there's a time in church history, especially in the North American church right now, there are a bunch of people that have fallen through the cracks. There are a bunch of people that aren't going to church anywhere. There's a bunch of people that are just not, not even viewing online anymore. They got COVID fatigue. They've got Zoom fatigue. And, and we as believers need to be those people that reach out. You know what I realized by reading the book of Acts through a second time this year already is the fact is many things in the church, they didn't have a solution until there was a problem. 
And it gives me such incredible hope. They don't have a, pro, a, a solution to the Greek and Hebrew widows fighting with one another over food distribution until what? Until there was an issue. Then they got together and said, this is the plan of God. In Acts 15, when the council of Jerusalem, they don't have a plan until there's a problem. And so it gave me such hope because if you sat in our staff meetings and our pastoral meetings, sometimes we don't have a solution until there's a problem. Now, I'd love to be so far ahead that we have solutions before there's a problem. But sometimes God allows us to have problems so we seek him as the solution. Look out, be careful, observant, oversee, carefully consider those that are falling short, failing to receive, having a lack of the grace of God. And I'm not talking about where you've been, what's going on, it's the grace of God. And then lastly, watch out for a root of bitterness that springs up and defiles many. Man, I could spend some time here. Be careful that no poisonous root. You've heard it said probably many times, but I remember hearing it the first time as a young believer that bitterness is you drinking the poison and hope the person you're mad at dies. You drink the poison. I love gardening. I, I grew up in a farming community, farming family. I love gardening. But the fact is, sometimes if you pull a root, I mean pull a plant out and not get the root, it just strengthens. And that's the idea here. Watch out that no root takes root. Because the seeds, every one of us have seeds. Every one of us have bitterness thrown at us. Every one of us have unforgiveness that we can embrace or we can forgive. Every one of us have hurts, right? It's called life. Everybody. Have you ever seen two people that went through something very pretty similar and one of them comes through in a different light than others? Why? Because they embrace the grace that was there for them to forgive. Bitterness is animosity, anger, resentment. But it's also, listen to this. It's being terribly envious. Hmm. I'm never that. It means to taste something that disrupts the appetite. Before this affects others, we deal with it because the deeper the wound, Floyd McClung says, who was the YWAM director in Amsterdam, he says the deeper the wound, the more the cleansing. And where we get discouraged is the deeper the wound, we go to the Lord once. I had somebody tell me when I first got saved, if you truly forgive them, you won't remember it. What idiotic theology. You can truly forgive somebody and remember it for a lifetime. But it doesn't have that acute pain anymore. It's maybe scar tissue, but because you know how you get... You released from bitterness is every time the hurt comes up, you say, Lord, I release them. Lord, I release them. Lord, I release them. God, I don't hold this charge to them like you didn't hold the charge to me. God, I release them. And if it takes you a hundred times a day, then do it to the glory of God. And pretty soon that hundred will become 80 and then maybe 50 and then maybe 30 and then maybe 10 and then something will happen. It'll be back to a hundred and then it's, but the fact is you're dealing with it. You're releasing it. Because everybody in here has opportunity to be hurt. 
and walk in that hurt to where, how many love walking on eggshells around people? Hurt people, hurt people. Healed people, heal people. It's not the denial that the bad thing happened. It's you have grace to release that person. You're not putting them in the prison that God didn't put you into. Picking up the offense of somebody. That's what happens in families. Grandma gets hurt, shares her offense with her daughters. Grandma dies, no longer is dealing with her bitterness, at least not on this planet. But now the daughters are because they have picked up grandma's offense. And then they pass it on and somebody else, pretty soon you have a generation or two generations of somebody mad at somebody that they don't even know and has been dead for 50 years. And it just defiles. I used to say it, excuse the terminology, but it pukes on people. It just, it like comes up. Our daughter, when she was young, projectile vomited. It's like that idea where you just projectile vomit on people. You're bitter and you just bleh all over them. You can't say anything nice about anybody, so you just throw up on everybody. Now you got the word picture. <laughs> yes. Number one, don't pick up the offense of someone else. Man, sometimes it's hard to be a listening ear without grabbing hold of somebody's offense. I mean, there's some people I've wanted to punch in the face that I don't know because I know how much they've hurt somebody that's talked to me. I've even told them, if they were right here right now, I'd like to throat punch them. Sorry. It's the truth. But not feeding into that, releasing them. Secondly, don't pick up the offense. Secondly, own your own stuff. Some of us at times in our life are like, that's just terrible, and we're guilty of the same thing. Understand? Matter of fact, I think sometimes people share with us hurts so that we can have our own heart massaged a little bit and dealt with. Number three, understands God's forgiveness of you. That's why Jesus said those that don't forgive won't be forgiven. It's because they don't understand that elbow pipe that we're supposed to come in and go back out. Learn, and this is a key, learn to release incrementally hurt as it surfaces. There's things I thought I have dealt with, and you know what? I believe to that point I have. But something will come up, and it will allow me to release another layer to the Lord. It doesn't mean that what happened in the past wasn't dealt with, and I haven't done my, my best through the Lord to release them. But the fact is, sometimes it's like a layer of an onion. It needs to be peeled back, and we're crying, and, and it's not nice, and it's ugly. And it's because, why am I thinking about that again? Maybe it's because God's saying, now, son or daughter, it's time to release another segment of it. And then the fifth thing, remember, it takes persistence and follow-through. Sometimes it's, will you forgive me before they can forgive you? And other times it's, will you forgive me, not expecting anything reciprocated. And that's when it gets difficult. See, the church wants to look at the moral decay 
and say, of course, that's what John Adams said. And of course, that's why we're in trouble as a nation. You know why we're in trouble as a nation? Because we don't watch out for the root of bitterness that springs up. And then the church is just like the world. And we're supposed to be the light of the world. Amen? Father, thanks. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you deal with us, not according to our, as our sins deserve, but God, you deal with us according to your mercy and grace. Move upon our lives. Help us to be people that will release bitterness, God. We will be those people, God, that walk out holiness, and we will be those people that pursue peace with all people. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.